0: You're listening to The Truest. I'm Jacob Smith. It's been a while. No real reason other than life and I just sort of lost a lot of impetus to record and edit this podcast. Still fascinating. Still fascinating conversations. Still looking forward to future conversations, but just other other things have seemed more important. Uh, Fortunately, I have the um, privilege to be able to make choices like that. So sorry for the loyal listener that has been waiting, but hopefully um, it'll be worth the wait. Today's conversation with Anna Sarnik-Niemeyer was uh, interesting. We went deep into theology um, in a way that I think is still accessible, even if you're not a person of faith. I think that what she's talking about actually is important for us in these days and is really Um, a fascinating way to come to knowledge so here's anna anna what is the truest thing you know
1: thanks for asking me that i have really enjoyed pondering this and i was talking with the person in the lift um on the way here someone drove me about what i was going to record and trying to describe that and i compared it a little to like I think Oprah does like what I know for sure kind of thing. And that's like the pop culture version of this. And he was asking me, the Lyft driver was asking me, well, you mean like a universal truth, like with a capital T, like what do people talk about? And I, the way that I feel it is what feels most core to me. Like what's the kernel of absolute certainty that lives within me? Um, that I know in this unwavering way. Um, And I think I'm more practiced at maybe talking about that because I am in this wild process of being a candidate. So for people who are listening that don't know, in the ELCA, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, um, if one is training to uh, be a minister, they go through a process called candidacy, and it's this... um, extensive beautiful messy formation process um to both help train the person and help them consider what type of minister they want to be if they're fit for it and also um to make sure that the church has really good leaders in it um because as faith leaders we have a lot of power and are viewed in a very particular way even by the secular world um when we pop on that collar, it means something to people. Um, and so when I was considering how to answer this, I was thinking about this process that I'm going through. And, um, also I'm in this seminary program, um, where I get to, one of the things I love about you, if you, you're not, you can't see me people who are listening but my face is just lighting up because I love it. Um, I got to do a systematic theology class, um,
0: I, you might be the first person in the world to say I got to do. Uh, yeah, I know. Theology. But that's that's okay. It's yeah, okay.
1: I got to do a systematic theology class. And the final um, project is doing what's called a constructive theology, which is for us to consider exactly what you were talking about, which is understanding that our imagining about the world, um, and therefore also our imagining about God, is constructed. Um, is built and has been built over time. And the recognition of that can be really powerful. So um, I want to dedicate this conversation to a couple people. One of them is uh, the theologian Sally McFaig. She is an ecofeminist theologian and was a professor at Vanderbilt Divinity School in Nashville for years. And she just died last month. Um, And what feels truest to me is something that I read in her book called Models of God. And while I was reading Sally McFaig, who is a white middle class, upper middle class woman, I also got to read Alice Walker's The Color Purple, which I have here with me in the studio. Um, Alice Walker is a black feminist writer. She's also an archivist. She recovered Zora Neale Hurston's um, work, and Zora Neale Hurston is the person who wrote many things, um, including Their Eyes Were Watching God, which was made into a movie and um, was a prolific writer and then as a black woman at the end of her life would have been forgotten and buried had someone not um, dug up her work and published it. And the final person I want to dedicate this to that... these are also my teachers who help me know what is truest, um, is Alexis Pauline Gums, who is a, a queer black feminist uh, writer, professor, theologian. Um, Alexis and her partner, um, Shangador Wallace, have this beautiful project podcast. Um, they do a work called Mobile Homecoming, where they talk about place and faith and community and how we're built to be what we are. And um, Alexis Pauline Gumbs says that um, freedom is not a secret, it's a practice. And so, I wanna mention all of those names because I believe that we don't come to know what we know just by being born. Those things are formed and built by the people who help shape us. And these are some of the people who have shaped my thinking about what I know. And the concept I wanna talk about today, um, I first came across in Sally McFaig's work. Um, It's called Via Negativa, which comes from Latin. And the concept is basically, it's a theological concept But it's really helpful for what we were talking about before related to understanding that our experiences are our own, our worlds are built, and we can't know um, like a full truth. Um, And so via negativa basically means that as soon as we think that we know something for sure about God, we immediately realize that we don't. It's fallen short. And I think some people would find that to be uh, like a hopeless endeavor. Like, well, can't we know anything about God? Can't we say anything for sure? Definitely. Um, And there are some things that I feel like I could say for sure about God and my faith, like the abiding love of God, um, the proximity, the closeness to God, But what Sally McFaig talks about in her book, and what I've been really pondering, is that, and her book is called Models of God, is that those are all models that we've built. Um, Even the idea of the Trinity is a model. The idea of God is all-powerful is a model. And Sally McFaig talks about God as, um, reframes God as thinking about God as a mother, a lover, a friend. Um, as a possible new model and one thing that I love that she discusses is that in any model that we come across there's going to be a shock of um, recognition of something that is true and also a shock of absolutely not like this is totally unfamiliar to me and that's how we can check ourselves and notice um So she offers it as one alternative, as not the over abiding truth, um, but as a way for us to, first of all, see that any model that we have of God is, in fact, a built model. And also that she talks about um, the fact that we're living in a new time than when some of the original models of God were built. And, you know, she's writing in the 80s, and the book was published in 88. And uh, that was during the like the dawn of the nuclear age where people were coming to, to terms with the fact that humans have created something that could not only extinguish all current life, but prevent all future life. And so what kind of God do we need if that's the case? That's a very different need than what, you know, the ancient Israelites needed at the time. You know, we start to see these motifs. And Sally McFague, and then also Alice Walker want to help us think about a different model of God and how that might serve us. Not that the, our kind of traditional model doesn't serve us. Sometimes it does. But thinking about what we need um, now. And I brought the Color Purple um, to read, like, a very short paragraph from it because I think it's beautiful. Um. And to relate it to this concept of via negativa, I think often with theology and myself, sometimes we think that it lives in a ivory tower in a, in an office building or on a college campus. And as an experiential educator, as somebody who grew up living at camp and as somebody who grew up living at Holden or who as an adult lived at Holden village where our theology was our daily practice. It was the, it was, we really had a daily liturgy um, for living in community. And for those of you who are listening, a liturgy is a, we often talk about liturgy related to a worship service or how we build a worship service and how it's formatted and how we create a ritual. And there are lots of reasons behind why we create liturgies, how we do. But at Holden, Every day was built around a liturgy and a rhythm. So, related to that, um, this this short piece from Alex uh, from Alice Walker helps us think about God in our daily lives and helps us exemplify the concept of via negativa, which is that um, our concepts of God are built and. Uh, as soon as we think we know something for sure about God, we also know that we always already don't fully know because, and I, and I find that beautiful. So for those of you who might want to read along, (laughs) this is on page 195 in Alice Walker's The Color Purple. Um, it's the Harvest Book Harcourt version and is from 1993. So this is a character, um, These are all um, black characters who are living in post-Civil War South. Um, And this character, her name is Suge. She is a performer and a dancer and is sort of thought to be, like is both loved and revered by the community for being very sensual and gifted, but is also outcast from the community, thought to be too... Um, too sexual, too sensual, like not taken seriously. And she ends up being one of the main theologians in the book, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing and also very biblical. <laughs> yeah. Um, So she's talking with the main character, Seeley about God. And they've been through a lot of hardships as women of color in the South. And uh, so... Celie is trying to figure out what God is for her because she's had so much tragedy and trial in her life. And this is what Suge says. Here's the thing, say Suge, the thing that I believe. God is inside you and inside everybody else. You come into the world with God, but only them that search for it inside find it. And sometimes it just manifests itself, even if you not if you're not looking or don't know what you're looking for. Trouble do it for most folks, I think. Sorrow, Lord, feeling like shit. It? asked Seelie. Shug said, Yeah, it God ain't a he or a she but an it. Then Celie said, But what do it look like? Shug said Don't look like nothing, she say. It ain't a picture show. It ain't something you can look at apart from anything else, including yourself. I believe God is everything, said Suge. Everything that is, or ever was, or ever will be. And when you can feel that, and be happy to feel it, you've found it. So, for me, this theology that Alice Walker presents and she does talk about the color purple being a, a theology um that sort of piece that shook this character finds um everything that is or ever was or ever will be and when you can feel that and be happy to feel it, you found it is one way of the joy and trueness that I of describing the joy and trueness that I feel in this old stodgy Latin theological concept of via via negativa which is that I can reach and search for God and I can also rest assured that it's not my job to know for sure to to know the capital T truth for all time and that's part of being human is resting in some of that sort of faithful happy uncertainty The Sufi mystic poet Rumi has a poem that I would encourage people who are listening to look up. It's called Love Dogs. And basically it says that our faith or our relationship with God is not definitely hearing that God is speaking to us or definitely knowing that God is there. But the very yearning, the calling out to God, like a dog calls out to its master, whines for its master, is the thing. It, that reaching and searching and that's what feels truest to me.
0: that, that the reaching and searching is the it is what' we're, or what you are called to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reaching and the searching, and I find such immense comfort in knowing that I don't have to figure it out. Um, that as a pastor, hopefully someday, um, my job isn't to tell other people about who God is definitely, but to help them l- to facilitate us together as a community. This is a really cool Lutheran thing, actually, that we believe that we ought to be searching in community, that we ought to be doing text study in community. Um, that's something that I find to be truest is, doing that reaching and searching and yearning together and knowing that we won't know that Mm -hmm. it's via negativa. We won't come to a definite. And I find beauty in that. And I understand if there are other folks who find that to be frustrating or not concrete enough. And part of my role as a minister will be to move with people through that uncertainty, which I find like a joyful release. Mm -hmm.
0: Is have Has that uncertainty always been joyful as you think back through growing up or?
1: Um, I can remember feeling some uncertainty as a young person and other people felt more uncomfortable about that than I did. Mm-hmm. Other people felt like it said something about perhaps their faith. Um, if I felt uncertain. Um, I think, yeah, there was maybe some threatenedness to that. And for me, it was just a wondering um, and engaging. I mean, I took theology courses in undergrad and then I talked about it at camp with my friends. And then my favorite book to read with kids at camp was Old Turtle. I don't know if people listening have heard of it, but it's this beautiful book that talks about the many models and images and faces of God. Um, so I felt wonder in the in the curiosity of that and that was encouraged by my parents and I think yeah that's a good question I think maybe that wondering or joyful uncertainty was disconcerting for other people or was threatening and I think it's totally understanding understandable for us to want certainty and concreteness and for me I need in this time a flexible caring close attentive God in this time I need a God who isn't distant and on a mount and um, judgmental or patriarchal I need a God who's big enough to hold the complexities who I know will be there for me and also God who's very close that I can see in the person in my tech study or in my class who's really scared about Mm -hmm. the future. Um, and I find that struggle with people, um, in community to be God, like even in the energy and the interchange that we're having right now in this podcast, talking about concepts that matter Mm -hmm. that are profound. I find that, God is present in this space and in the energy even between us in this room in the Northwest Washington Synod office. Right. Um because it's the practice. Um it's the practice of not knowing together mm. or of wondering or searching together. And so when I was asked to do this Truest podcast, I thought, yeah, this is you know, I'm sure plenty of people don't talk about faith um as the um like as a christian faith or Mm -hmm. not a religious sense but for me searching in community for truth or what is truest is at the core of my faith practice yeah
0: for some the the threat the existential threat of climate change is very real where we live in the pacific northwest it's not necessarily yes um but the concept. But at the same time, we are in the nun zone, where, where mm. you feeling like what I'm hearing you say is that because of this uncertainty, God needs to be a certain way. Mm. For for many people, this uncertainty is there, and God isn't. So how does how how does this, as you think about you know um, being. Uh, leading a faith community, maybe leading a faith community in this part of the country, and right. increasingly just about everywhere. How does, how does that work when the, for the people outside the, that, that aren't coming into church on Sunday to think about the, the truth that, you know, that, that, the, this truth about, about faith?
1: Hmm. That's a great question, especially like you say in the Pacific Northwest, it's actually one of the reasons why I love doing faith work or ministry wandering in the Pacific Northwest. And it's really understandable that a lot of communities have been so profoundly hurt by the church in the old models, this like triumphant, triumphant monarchical, patriarchal, white God. Um, understanding what the models of God have been help us understand why... One of the reasons or many of the reasons why people have left it and said, no, that's not for me. Not only does it not serve me now, but it hurt me. It caused trauma in my life. And that's why via negativa to me is so important because that helps for me to say to people or to sit with people and wrestle over, no, the God that that hurt you, that said that you didn't belong in this church has said you were bad fundamentally sinful that's a model of god that's one person or one congregation or even one faith model of god that's not all that god is and so this concept this via negativa i think can also save lives not save souls not Mm -hmm. save not save people for heaven whatever but can physically save lives if somebody feels that they are have been so cast out by the church have been so demonized by the church that they don't know if they're good fundamentally good with a capital G this concept can be a balm for them and that's why I believe in it so truly I mean I am a young queer woman who is in this process And, um, it's only been 10 years that I would even be able in the ELCA that I'd even be able to be talking about being a candidate and being out. And I am part of communities that are faith communities. I'm part of queer communities. I'm part of justice communities, academic communities. Those communities are not talking with each other because I think frequently, they're not talking with each other because of the trauma that all of them have experienced and have in some cases, like the case of the church, um, perpetrated Mm -hmm. on certain communities. So I think it takes a deep understanding and empathy of why people would leave something and a deep bravery that I see in them for leaving something that doesn't serve them. Like old models of God do not serve certain communities, not only don't serve but hurt Mm -hmm. certain communities. And so I believe that for me, part of my call in this ministry setting, for those of you who are listening, we talk about a call as something deep, not just vocational in terms of a job, but vocational in terms of I'm meant to do this. I hear a calling, an invite, a beckoning to do it. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I feel so certain in a call to ministry, whatever that's going to look like, is because of this middle space that I occupy, having grown up in a faith community, in the in a middle to conservative state, a swing state, Wisconsin. I'm white. Um, I'm middle class. And I'm also queer. And I've also worked in justice communities. And I'm also a white anti-racist person, um, an intersectional feminist. And so I believe so strongly that people need to have on-ramps. Like if we're on a super highway of faith or of justice or of being woke or whatever it is, people have to have on-ramps to that. We can't expect, just like people are, are born not having their schema for God built yet they're Mm. also not born necessarily knowing like whatever um the best terminology for something or um how to use the word queer or what all the letters in lgbtqia plus mean I empathize with that and understand that um and also people who've been hurt by the church I understand and empathize that they have not been able to see the gifts of faith and the church that I have been able to see and experience. So, to answer your question in a tiny sentence, I think would be my role. I believe is going to be as a translator mm-hmm. in those communities to not throw the baby out, baby out with the bathwater, um, and to find the best and truest things in each of those communities and to say, how can we take ancient liturgical practice of call and response, of uh, singing something together, of having one hour that is structured. I'm talking about church here, right? Mm -hmm. Like of one hour that's structured and includes multiple senses so that we can do something profound and also difficult and sometimes scary in a way that feels structured and held enough to do it together with strangers and visitors Mm. like that's something I feel is so transferable to to the classroom to any activist enterprise I see the profound gifts that are have been built over millennia in faith communities and religious communities that if viewed through a different model like Sally McFaig says could be this beautiful resource Mm -hmm. for getting beautiful things done. And that's, you know, what Alice Walker is talking about in this character, Shug of God being everywhere and having contentment with that. I don't think that that means that I need to tell people like, Oh, that thing you just experienced, that was a God moment or, um, to force that piece on it because that's my attachment to calling it God. Right. Mm -hmm. That's my attachment to calling it Christianity
0: so it seems like when you remove certainty, you can build community more easily. Yeah. Is that what, I think we've talked a lot about the certainties that perhaps the church needs to remove. Sure. Are there certainties that some of these other communities is this need to remove and what they, what they think as well?
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good question. That's right. Um, it's so interesting in the Pacific Northwest, it's almost easier for me to come out as queer than it is for me to come out as Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I feel self-conscious about it because I know that the church has done harm. Not not just Christianity, like the Lutheran church sure. has done harm. It's this both and of uh, doing the truth-telling of acknowledging that we have this history. Like the ELCA has a history of white supremacy, of homophobia, so I think that there are two things happening when I do that apologizing, right? Or when we, we both talked about this apologizing. Mm. It's this acknowledgement of the harm that has really truly been done and echoes throughout generations. So I think there's two things happening. One, we are acknowledging and doing some truth telling about the echoes of domination and the current domination that happens in the church. And we're also really trying to make a connection and wonder about the person we're talking with, right? and making assumptions about what they might feel or think about the church. But really, when I apologize or make or actually I actually don't I don't apologize for being Christian. I love I I love it and I love being able to explain to people who've been hurt by the church that I Anna Zarnick Niemeyer mm-hmm. am a young queer woman and also a candidate for ministry mm-hmm. uh, for p- potential ordination in the ELCA. Like just by being in a room and telling people what I do, it serves. It does that work. Um, people first ask me, oh, you're going, you're in grad school. What are you studying? And I say theology and there. And then of course they say, oh, how did you consider studying theology? And then I say, well, actually I'm a candidate for ministry to potentially be ordained, um, in the ELCA. And so I think people need on ramps. I don't always start with saying like, I'm a seminarian Mm -hmm. because, People need an on-ramp to be able to say, oh, this is a person that maybe I can trust, seems somewhat safe or safer. Um, and so it's almost this like Trojan horse of helping people learn and trust me. It's not a trick. It's just a way for for me to build trust with people without needing to put the definition of yeah, this word seminarian or pastor or minister, or whatever that. Yeah, for a lot of people, their model, their schema of that is Westboro Baptist Church.
0: Right. Well, and also it's saying that's not all you are. Right. And that seems to fit well with this. The the whole concept is right. Is that as you approach right. certainty or a singularity of of anything, you're you you realize yes. that the pieces of it that are that are that are running away from you. Right. That you don't understand.
1: Mm, that's so good.
0: Um, we've talked a lot about, about systems and and institutions. Mhm. What about you? What does this feel like in your bones when you are whether it's at worship or just in your home? What, what does this mm-hmm. truth mean for you?
1: Yeah, that's a really nice question. Thanks for helping me think about that. <sighs> to me, it feels like I'm going to close my eyes because I mean, people who are listening don't know this, but I'm I'm closing my eyes and imagining it and smiling. To me, it feels like playing in the mud as a kid. Like, my mom saw me playing in the mud one day in a new dress that I had gotten, and she just said, you know, we c- you can play in the mud, but let's get you, like, the proper clothes for that. Like, let's get you scrubby clothes for that. Or when I'd bruise my knees or scrape my hands or fall down my mom and my dad would say like, that's okay. You know, that shows that you've been playing that you've been exploring and using your body. And I think it's really important for us to come back to the body sometimes and the emotions to be more somatic in this like intellectual culture. So for me, this not knowing and sifting through feels like playing in the mud like and scraping my knees like I know that it's going to be messy like I know by definition that playing in the mud is messy Mm -hmm. I know by definition that I'll like probably hit a rock or a root or something that will like hurt my hands or scrape me And I'll have to be careful then later to not tromp through in places that I ought not that someone just cleaned or whatever. Um, But it feels like playing in the mud knowing that I'm choosing the messiness, I'm choosing the potential for hurt and I'm still going to find joy in it. And I don't know how long I'll be in that particular mud puddle um, or when my mom will call me in or when my dress will be too soaked to (laughs) be able to handle anymore um but that's what it feels like to me
0: and is that is that a happy
1: place yeah for me it's a happy place and it comes with a memory um and it's so earthy right it's digging and sifting through and being silly and creative and making mistakes and being imperfect.
0: You've been listening to The Truest. If you want to find out more about the show and all of our episodes, you can visit our website at truest.live. If you like the show, please leave a comment anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you really like the show, tell a friend. You can get us apples, Stitcher, just about anywhere the music this week is provided by my cousin matt Stratinsky again great live show if you can go out and see matt in this new year it is worth your dime and this show is sponsored by my sister rachel berkabyle there's absolutely no one on this planet that can make me laugh like my sister i love you rachel